0: This is the Pain Information Network, and this is Episode 5. Hello, everybody. Today we're going to be joined by Dr. Stan Helm. He's a practicing physician in California, and again, I've known him for years. He's an interventionalist, and we'll be talking about the different types of uh, pain providers out there, different types of approaches from a medical standpoint to physical intervention standpoint, like physical therapists, chiropractic, et cetera. And we're going to talk a little bit about what an interventionalist is. We tend to throw terms around. We want to clarify them and what they are. So we'll, we'll talk about pain, what is chronic pain, and what we think we can do about it. And uh, he provides us with a unique perspective um, from uh, the evolution. He was one of the original folks that got into this uh, interventional pain management approach to treating painful entities. So let's get to it. We have with us today Dr. Stan Helm. He comes to us from California, and he's a practicing pain physician there. Years of experience. I've known Stan well over a decade as well. He's uh, uh, one of these frontline practicing physicians and a tremendous interventionalist. Uh, He speaks Uh, Nationally on interventional pain medicine, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Tell us about yourself, Stan.
1: Well, thank you, Hans. I, as you mentioned, practice interventional pain medicine. I'm in Orange County, California. I'm uh, spend all of my time practicing pain medicine. My background is undergraduate degree at Harvard College, and then went to Tufts uh, University School of Medicine in Boston. Started out in an internal medicine program in uh, Boston, the old Boston City Hospital, then came out to UCLA for anesthesiology and went and practiced anesthesiology. I started practicing pain part-time in the early 80s when we really weren't doing much. Epidural injections in the recovery room, intercostal blocks. And gradually, as time went by, the field became more involved. Uh, as time went by, I spent more and more of my time uh, doing pain. When the uh, boards came out in the early 90s, in 1993, I was able to take them and get boarded uh, at that time. As the field uh, got more involved, I was fortunate to be with the people who were leading those innovations and was was able to grow with uh, with them and with the field.
0: Great, Stan. So, Stan, let's start off with the basics. It sounds like kind of a dumb question, but it's really not a dumb question. Tell me what pain is. I I described it in my first episode as pain is a description, it's not really an entity. It's highly subjective, Uh, there's very little to measure, you can't see, touch, feel, or measure it. But we all have our own take on really what pain is, and it, it guides our direction. It pulls our hand one way or the other. Tell me what you think.
1: That is really a very good summary of it, Hans. We work with what is called the biopsychosocial model of pain, which is just a fancy way of saying that pain is not only something wrong within the body, but it's also how we respond to it in the environment that we're in. There are some people who are very isolated in terms of uh, being with people. I've got one gal, for example, whose daughter won't talk to her. uh, And uh, someone in a situation like that may suffer more from the same stimulus than uh, someone else. Uh, Different people have different ability to respond to the stresses, and a lot of what we do with treating pain is just to help them and believe in them until they uh, are able to mobilize all the resources that they have latent within themselves to successfully carry on a meaningful and valuable life. Pain is ultimately an experience there's uh we we can't say that it doesn't exist we simply have to accept the uh the patient's uh, description of it and our ultimate goal in treating pain is uh, just what i said before to live a valuable life a meaningful life and a life that is uh full of um worth for the uh, for the individual
0: yeah most I think most people that deal in pain say that there's more than one kind of pain. But in a general sense, we call it acute pain or chronic pain. And I believe, and I speak of this often, acute pain happens chronically and chronic pain happens acutely. You can't really separate them all the time. You might be sitting there very comfortably with a significant low back issue, and you get up to move, and it's crippling. And we've all had that happen to us. We're out gardening or something, we twist the wrong way, and we're down for a day. So, now, we deal with pain that goes beyond a normal course of healing, and that's kind of where it falls in this chronic category. What do you think about chronic pain as a specific entity?
1: I think that it does exist. I think you gave the best definition for it, that definition being pain that persists beyond the expected healing time. You gave the example of tweaking your back, gardening, or... Bending over to tie your shoelaces or whatever it is that causes it to happen, and and you expect that to go away. Where we come into play is when it doesn't go away. So the first thing you have you do when you have pain isn't to run and go have an injection. You try medications. You try to stay active. Uh, maybe uh, see a physical therapist or a chiropractor. And if that doesn't resolve, then we can get more uh, aggressively involved.
0: Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> it's it's really hard characterized because we just have descriptors. We have a patient saying to us, or anybody, it could be a family member, it could be anybody, saying, I hurt my back. Well, <clears throat> some people would say, well, that's your diagnosis. One of the rules that we have in chronic pain, or any type of pain, is you have to have a diagnosis. But actually, it's a symptom. So I would I would jump out and say, and tell me if you, if you think this is wrong, but I'd jump out to say that Chronic pain is really more of a symptom than an actual disease state. What do you think?
1: That is an interesting question. You're really uh, sliding back and forth between two related items. Uh, A symptom is something which someone describes, and a disease is the underlying entity which one is uh, attempting to describe. I would say that given that the pain is really being evaluated in three different uh, arenas. One, what is happening biologically with you? In other words, what stimuli are being sent to the brain and how is the, the body filtering all of that, along with uh, who you are as an individual uh, in terms of your biological makeup, and then finally your, your cultural and psychological makeup, that it gets very hard to separate these things to, uh, out. And uh, symptoms and chronic pain as a disease, I think, are really merged into one.
0: Yeah, neurobiologically, there are changes that happen. Um, we know that, and it's going to be a, a discussion of a future podcast when we start getting into neurobiology of pain and, and some of the stuff that it. we can say it's all in your head. There are changes in the spinal cord and changes in... Uh, parts of your brain that we can see on functional MRIs and other types of imaging now that it is real. Fibromyalgia is real. With This chronification of pain, this concept that um, we can now, with a high level of confidence, identify people that will turn into a chronic painful condition um, at the time of injury. Now, that's a whole other discussion, but um, pain really does exist, and it, it lights up part of your brain, and when it doesn't turn off, you've got a chronic condition.
1: Yeah, and I I would make two points there. One is I strongly disagree with uh, people who say that you're just making this up, there's nothing really there and the other thing that I strongly agree with is always always hope. There's always hope. That's one thing we as a species live for is the uh, belief that things can get better. I, I, I tell people that you didn't always have this pain. It's it's not written in heaven. It's not certain it'll always be there. Uh, Don't give up. And I'm sure we surely never uh, expect anyone to hear or hope that no one ever hears what I'm saying is uh, that they should just give up.
0: Yeah. And um, you, you and I both know, we hear this all the time. The surgeons will say, well, we operated on you. It looks great. I don't understand why you hurt so much. Well, of course they don't understand it because pain is a personal experience, but, there has been a violation of, of your uh, back, and you know things happen. You can't see on every imaging study the uh, processes that are going on, the scar formation, the the uh, tethering effect on the nerves. You just can't see the inflammatory changes. So, yeah, stuff is happening. That's why we get into certain medications and why certain things um, work and don't work. Um, yeah, let, let,
1: let me jump in here and make a comment about imaging, MRIs. Uh, Some people just want to look at the MRI. It's important to remember that the MRIs show pathology, but they don't show pain. And even more than pain, uh, you can see patients who have very impressive signs, which are symptoms on physical exam. Uh, They may have weakness. They may have reflex changes. They may have uh, sensory changes. And they can be, let's say, at the L5 nerve root on the right, and the MRI will show extensive compression of the left L5 nerve root and the right nerve is uh, pristine. So what do you treat? The MRI or the patient? I I vote for the patient.
0: Yeah, all the time. Uh, The most accurate description we have of a pain comes out of that person's mouth. Not of an x-ray. X-rays can't talk. They're just a picture. They're just a snapshot. Uh, It doesn't come from uh, the mechanism of injury. Small little incidental problems can lead to huge painful uh, disease states uh, vis-a-vis CRPS or regional pain syndrome. Some people know it as RSD. We could go on and on, but I think this is a good point uh, to kind of pivot a little and talk about treatment providers um, so that we can kind of start defining more what we do as pain professionals. Tell us a little bit about what we do.
1: Sure. We are both, uh, what are known as interventional pain physicians. And there is actually an organization out there, the National Uniform Claims Committee, that goes out and has definitions for every medical specialty, internal medicine, uh, general surgery, and interventional pain management. And the interventional pain management definition is very simple. It's the treatment of acute, subacute, and chronic pain with interventional procedures. And there's a specific definition as to what that means, along with Other modalities, and to me, other modalities means medication therapy. It means psychological treatment and cognitive behavioral therapy, and it means uh, functional restoration uh, slash physical therapies slash exercising at home, along with any complementary modalities that uh, may be appropriate. So really, we are the one specialty that bring into play every available tool for the treatment of pain. We're the only ones who can provide the interventions, which can hopefully decrease the need for the uh, medications. The one thing that never gets decreased is the need for the home exercise program for everyone uh, to, uh, to the extent that they can exercise and stretch and keep the muscles supple. But oftentimes, it's the interventions, whether it's the epidural procedures, or the facet procedures, the intradisco procedures, the implantable devices such as the spinal cord stimulators that we can use to maximize function, uh, maximize involvement in the world, and to minimize the need for medications. Yeah,
0: <clears throat> that's uh, that's well put. Um, there are different approaches to dealing with pain. There's a medical approach, there's a physical approach, and there's an interventional approach. And so when we talk about being interventional, and so we do exactly just that, we try to intervene with not only our hands, but our medical knowledge, uh, we use tools like the stimulator you just talked about. We'll get into that in depth at a later visit. But uh, So when you talk about different providers, it isn't that one is less valuable, but one may have more tools. And an interventionalist can not only make a diagnosis by blocking certain nerves, but they can actually offer advanced therapeutic uh, approaches. We don't like to cherry-pick. We don't like to just do injections without taking care of the broad brush stroke, medication management, physical therapy, and all those things you talked about?
1: No, you've got to provide every modality. Uh, I, I ran into a uh, fellow yesterday. I, ha- I was in a shoe repair shop. This was a shoe repairman with whom I was speaking, and he somehow he figured out what I did, uh, and told me about his epidural injection he'd had at a university uh, center not too far from where I am and he said it didn't work which is fine they don't always work but then he had acupuncture and the acupuncture worked for him so it really doesn't matter to us which modality works as long as we can find one that will work and by having the brightest broadest array of tools most arrows in the quiver we've got the best chance of achieving that end
0: yeah when I was in residency um, I uh was lucky enough to be around two Asian-trained um, physicians. Efun uh, Tsai was uh, one of them, and Luke kitahata was the other. They were uh, they're champions of uh, acupuncture. And they, they got me kind of thinking that you got to go outside the box. You, you really have to start thinking outside the box. And
1: the more you do, the more you can do. That's it. No, you, 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 and it's, it's the old Reagan quote. It's amazing what you can get done if you don't care who gets the credit. I don't care if it's my injection that works or the acupuncture therapy, as long as we get to where we want to be.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, this is a part of uh, the uh, podcast where we talk about jewel or junk. We're, we're going to isolate and we're going to pick on one particular, either technology, treatment, medication, or something. Uh, each podcast, maybe, maybe we'll do more. We'll see how popular this gets. Um, and. And we're going to talk about it. we're going to talk about it by what we see and what we know from evidence base and what we believe uh, supports it, uh, either in the literature or by outcomes. And today, we're going to talk about spinal decompression. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, spinal decompression is a broad tent. And I would say that a home traction unit, an inversion table, uh that you can buy and have in your home it can be very effective. It decompresses the spine and can provide temporary uh, relief and be a useful tool that you can do on your own time at minimal cost uh, with uh, benefit. And you don't expect it to provide long-lasting or permanent benefit but it's there and you keep on doing it. It's similar to, uh, your home exercise program. You feel better after exercising, but exercising once doesn't keep you in shape for the rest of your life. You have to keep at it. Now, there is also spinal decompression, which is done via mechanical traction and it's often, uh, uh, present in a provider's unit. These things can be very expensive, up to a, a hundred thousand dollars and they are the, uh, they are advertised. Uh, extensively, and you know, it, 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 I've, I've seen people take out second mortgages on their homes to uh, to get this therapy, and I, I just can't uh, su- support doing that. Uh, the therapy can provide uh, temporary relief. I had one fellow uh, whom I was giving facet injections to, just really couldn't get him better. He uh, was an A level tennis player. He had spinal decompression mechanical spinal decompression, and he was able to get back to playing tennis at a uh, age-appropriate manner. Uh, but generally, to go and spend $5,000, I would much rather see my patient take, if they want to spend the 5000 bucks, take the money and go on a vacation with the uh, spouse and the kids rather than put it into spinal decompression because I think you can achieve the same thing at, this, at a much lesser cost at uh, – Home with an inversion
0: table. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> Completely agree. Okay, we both agree on that one. Uh, unloading the the pelvis uh, with traction uh, tables at home, or else inversion. Uh, that that's fine. I mean, I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, however, um, you're right. People dropping thousands of dollars on these uh, quote protocols uh, that have very poor methodology. I, I want to see something in an evidence based journal that says. Uh, that uh, crossover double-blind studies or whatever showed benefit. I don't know how you'd develop a study like that, but it could be done. And I just don't think we're ever going to see it. So there you go. Um, Jewel or junk? I'm going to call it junk.
1: No, it's junk.
0: Okay. All right. Rule four. Rule four is uh, the five rules is you know your medicines, and you know five examples of five different categories. And one of the categories we commonly use in pain medicine uh... is gabapentinoids and gabapentinoids uh... uh... for generic term terminology include gabapentin which has been around years uh... originally developed as an anti-convulsant uh... sat on the shelf and there's a story behind that Uh, and also pregabalin and that's also known as Lyrica brand name so let's start with the uh, our our famed favorite uh, gabapentin Uh, I know you use a lot of it.
1: Cavapentin is a great drug. And the way it works is the body modulates pain. So if you're sitting and you've got your arms on the um, armrest of a chair, you're not going to be aware of that unless I bring your attention to it and you start thinking about it. Now, the nerves in your arms work just fine. Uh, they're aware of the pressure that you feel from um, you know, having the arms touch the arm, armrest, but it doesn't get transmitted into your, your consciousness because the body filters it out. The, the spinal cord and the brainstem filter out that information and prevent it from going uh, on up and becoming aware of it. Now, if you move your arm and you come across a splinter or a nail sticking up, you know about that immediately because that information uh, warrants being transmitted on up to the, uh, the brain. The way that happens is uh, a modulation that gabapentin influences so that gabapentin can cut down the, uh, uh, the amount of information that is, uh, being, or is being passed on, increase the amount of filtering that goes on, and decrease pain. Now, at the same time, in talking about gabapentin, we should briefly talk about uh, nociceptive versus neuropathic pain. And I would describe nociceptive pain as you stub your toe and you feel it. There's an actual impulse there, and you're aware of it. It hurts. Neuropathic pain is where your toe hurts and you have not stubbed it. There's something wrong with the nerves, neuropathic pathology of the nerves, that causes the uh, the pain to occur. And the gabapentin is particularly effective for that type of pain. Uh, it has many, many, many uses. As you mentioned, it was started out as a... Uh, a convulsant but as broadly used in pain uh, can also help with sleep and also helps with uh, winning off of uh, uh, various substances not only uh, opioids but also benzodiazepines and uh, alcohol so there's a real role for it not only in the pain uh, arena but also in the addictionology arena yeah
0: and for those that don't know I also do some addiction medicine I'm boarded in an addiction um, and let me, let me tell you you touched on this, and this is very important for those that suffer from pain. Um, <clears throat> patients in pain have very poor sleep. And as a result of poor sleep, they feel crummy the next day. They don't think clearly. They're always in a fog. Ask somebody with fibromyalgia what they, they're thinking. They'll say, I'm thinking in a fog. Well, that's alpha-2 intrusion. If you look on a, uh, or If you look at a sleep study... People that are in pain don't get down to stage four sleep, and they don't stay there properly. That's refreshing sleep. They stay up in, in this alpha-2 area, and they just don't sleep well. Therefore, they don't have that uh, cognitive refreshment. They don't, their brain just doesn't want to work well the next day. There's a whole neurobiological lesson. I'll get into that uh, at some point. But gabapentin takes people to stage uh, four. And so it does help with restorative sleep capacity. It's fantastic in that arena. The other thing it does is it uh, modulates uh, pain at the s- uh, spine level. As I like to think of pain, pain should be treated inside out as opposed to outside in. Um, and that's treating the root causes of pain. Uh, from a neurobiological standpoint, you're treating in the brain and the spinal cord. And gabapentin is affected with this, particularly at the descending pathways of pain modulation. So I'll go ahead and probably wrap this up here. Um, Do you have any uh, last uh, thoughts about uh, chronic versus uh, acute pain?
1: You know, again, the best definition of chronic pain is pain that persists beyond the um, uh, appropriate healing time, and we've got many modalities for treating that. Uh, I I think if there's one take, if there are two takeaways, if you've got chronic pain, do not give up hope. And also uh, make sure that you have access to uh, the interventional pain physician because they're the ones who have the... uh, uh, most modalities they can bring into play to help you uh, treat. And, again, that should include not only interventions, medications as necessary, particularly the non-opioid ones, and uh, cognitive behavioral support, and also getting you back uh, stretching and working out to whatever extent you can, given whatever limitations you might have.
0: Sure. Addressing uh, a multimodality from a physical therapy standpoint, from a cognitive refreshment standpoint, a psychologist, for example, is always helpful. Um, and having a, a good medical manager because comorbid diseases follow chronic pain. And then an interventionalist can help with a lot of uh, uh, painful states. And uh, Sam's going to be our uh, spinal editor, and he's going to be uh, talking more about interventions at the spine level. But uh, we uh, really appreciate you coming on today, and I know we'll be hearing from, from you again.
1: Look forward to it, It's Always a delight to talk with you. All right. Have a great day. Yeah, you too.
0: Thanks, Dr. Helm. Uh, as I said in the intro, he's been around really from the beginning of what we'd call contemporary interventional pain medicine, and it's an uh, important discussion. Uh, we'll revisit that, and we'll revisit uh, the medications that we use commonly that you might have been exposed to. We'll also be revisiting some uh, really important topics about spine, um, soft tissue management, neurobiology of pain, and uh, just in general. uh, uh, We'll take any questions, comments, and love to hear from you at paininformation.com. And please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us out. It helps us uh, rank so other people can, can find this podcast. Thanks for coming.